The sermon passage reading is from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and darkness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good day, everyone. Good to see you this morning. A big welcome to you, especially if you're new or just visiting with us. And it's a, a wonderful privilege to have baby Maddie here for the very first time. Uh, welcome uh, to Maddie and Scott and Celia. Uh, lovely to see you guys uh, face to face and uh, to welcome Maddie into our church. What a great um, joy that is. Uh, just a couple of things to let you know about before we jump into the Bible. Coming up this Saturday, uh, the 19th of September, is a working bee here at church. Uh, the Wardens and Parish Council are throwing a working bee to try and get some jobs done as we seek to steward this uh, significant property and uh, look after it and also spend some time together. Um, what better way to get to know each other than to do some weeding? Uh, so if you're able to come along for an hour or so on Saturday morning, uh, that would be great. The other thing to stick in your diary exactly one month from today is our priority prayer night for Term 4. Uh, in a disjointed year, it's hard to feel like we've had any kind of rhythm to our year, but this is one of our typical patterns to begin new school terms by gathering together as a whole church to pray. Uh, we're still trying to work out how to exactly do that. It will be a combination of in here and online. And so uh, stay tuned for that, but do whack it in your calendar uh, so that we can be a church that depends upon God together. We're totally convinced that he's in charge, and so if anything, we should be a prayerful church. So stick that in your calendar uh, one month from today, Tuesday night, the 13th of October. Let's pray together, and then we're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 13. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that we can be here together this morning and we thank you that those who can't be here can still connect with us online. We thank you even more for the Lord Jesus, for his death and resurrection and pray that today as we hear your word that we might, as uh, people uh, who trust and follow Jesus, that we might respond to all your mercy to us by offering our whole lives to you as living sacrifices, that we might live holy and pleasing lives before you. And though we pray this for Jesus' sake. 
Amen. Uh, well, in an increasingly busy world um, with chaotic diaries and full schedules, if you're anything like me, and I assume you are, sometimes you just feel a bit of decision fatigue. There's too many things, too many decisions, too many priorities, too many most important things to do in any one moment of any given day. Uh, and so if you want to listen to the movers and the shakers who make big, big decisions all day, every day, what you're meant to do because of decision fatigue is to take the decision-making out of all the little things in life. And so if you're Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or Barack Obama, what you do is you just say, this is the outfit I'm wearing. One outfit for every day. So Mark Zuckerberg, grey T-shirt, blue jeans... Uh, black Nike joggers, that's his outfit. Unless he's giving evidence before Congress, he's in a grey T-shirt and blue jeans, right? And I wonder if you had to make that decision to wear one outfit for the rest of your life and that's the only outfit you can wear each day, what would you pick? Something that expresses your identity, something that expresses your creativity, something that enables you to actually do the things that you want to do each day? What is the outfit that kind of defines you, that might you'd be happy to wear each and every day for the rest of your life? Maybe that's a discussion for morning tea or standing out on the grass after church. Uh, but as Christians, we don't need to make a decision. We're told what our grey t-shirt and blue jeans is. The outfit that we're to wear each and every day for the rest of our lives is the Lord Jesus himself. Clothe yourselves in our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13 tells us. Uh, that is the outfit that we are to be known by, that is the outfit that describes our identity and enables us to do the things that God wants us to do each day. It is to be clothed in the Lord Jesus and not just clothed in Him in the sense that we often talk about, that He gives us His righteousness, He makes us His people, that He gives us forgiveness and eternal life and we are therefore clothed in Him and that's definitely true but clothed in him in the sense of him enabling us each and every day to reflect his character, to reflect his gracious love to a watching world. Because here's the thing, that the Bible talks about God loving us in Jesus, and just a reminder, this is week 28 in Romans. If you want to look at what, how God has loved us, go back and read Romans 1 to 11. Because what we're up to now is how that we live in view of God's mercies. In view of God's mercy, his gracious love to us in Jesus, Romans 1 to 11, how do we live? God has shown us how he has loved us in Jesus, what he has done for us in Jesus. And Romans 12 to 16, what is God going to do through us for Jesus? What is God going to do through us for Jesus. To be clothed in Him means to reflect His character, to reflect His priorities, to reflect His beauty and His grace to the world. And if you had to pick a, a description of what that looks like, of what do you see when you see someone clothed in the Lord Jesus? 
Jesus tells us himself that what people should see when they see his people clothed in him is love. It's the thing that he told his disciples on the night before he died. I have shown you just how much I love you and just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And this is how the world will know that you're a disciple of Jesus. This is what the world will see if his people are clothed in him. They will see love. Love one for another and love not in the sentimentality of the kind of uh, late 70s pop song kind of love but love without the sentimentality of emotion but the concrete action of selfless giving that kind of love Jesus shaped, Jesus driven love where there can be no mistake when the world experiences the love that Christians have for one another and for our neighbours there can be no mistake Well, that's Jesus' kind of love. The self-giving, self-sacrificial, other person-centred love. Uh, We pick it up at verse 8 in chapter 13 today, where we're carrying on the idea that if you're living for Jesus in a world, in a world that's hostile towards him, in a world that won't particularly welcome the presence of Jesus or his people, You still need to honour the government, you still need to pay your taxes and you need to do that with love, uh, knowing that there is an ongoing debt that God's people owe to the world and to our neighbours to love just like Jesus loved us. Have a look at verse 8 with me. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour, therefore love is the fulfilment of the law. Love is the fulfilment of the law and it's the kind of love that isn't seeking to do the law in a way that earns our status before God or seeks to curry favour with God. Uh, It's not the kind of doing of the law that um, seeks to establish our own righteousness before God. We're told that we've, in chapter uh, 5 to 8, that we've been set free from the law, that the law could never change us, that the law could never achieve for us the eternal life and the forgiveness that we so desperately need and that God so graciously provides. But there is a picture in the Bible that the law is good and and holy and, and right because it's a reflection of God's character. It's a reflection of God's will. And so as transformed people who have trusted in the Lord Jesus, Christians will seek to live out the law in a way that seeks to reflect God's character to the world. And historically, the the Ten Commandments, as a a summary of the law, have been broken up into Tablet 1 and Tablet 2. The first four commandments are about loving God, and the second six commandments are about loving your neighbour. And so if you love your neighbour, you have fulfilled the requirements of the law. 
You have demonstrated what the law is meant to be all about. Because you can't love your neighbour and murder them. Or as Jesus says, you can't love your neighbour and hate them. You can't love your neighbour and steal from them. Or you can't love your neighbour and simply covet what they have for yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Love doesn't want to harm your neighbour's life or harm your neighbour's marriage or harm your neighbour's standing in the community or harm your neighbour's property. But love seeks to do good instead of doing harm. Love seeks to build up instead of tear down. Love seeks to provide and not take from our neighbours. And that kind of love, a love that seeks the good of those around us, a love that seeks to care for the needs of those in front of us that God places in our way, the love that seeks to honour them in our community, Well, that sort of love is the outfit of the Christian each and every day. There is an ongoing debt that we have to love one another. When it comes to a mortgage, you might at one point in your life pay off your mortgage and you can wake up the following day and say, I have no mortgage to pay. Lucky you. There will not be a day that you wake up and say, I am free from the obligation to love my neighbour today. That is our grey t-shirt and blue jeans each and every day with each and every person who is placed in front of us to seek their good, to honour them, to be interested in them, to provide for their need, especially their eternal need, to be right with their Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Without love, all our service, all our activity, all our duty, all our worship is totally defective. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul talks about love in a way that should challenge us, that it's not simply the doing of the things, but the attitude of the heart. There's those challenging words. You know, there's a beautiful passage in Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 about what love uh, looks like. But there's a sting in the tail because in 1 Corinthians 13, as well as the beautiful kind of wedding passage, let's hug each other kind of love, there's also that picture that if you give away all your things and you care for the poor but you haven't got love in your heart for them then it's pointless isn't that challenging even as we think about doing things to care for people 
and going through the motions of giving money to church and going through the motions of providing food for the poor and going through the motions of being kind to our friends and family and those who live next door to us. That God actually cares about the motivation of your heart and the place from which those actions are coming and love is the place that it's meant to be coming from. Which is challenging when we don't feel it, isn't it? Or when we're dealing with people that we find difficult or circumstances that are testing. Which is why later on we're going to see that having the Lord Jesus as the empowerer, the enabler of that kind of love is so necessary. Love is the thing that binds all of the Christian life together. It's the golden thread that is to run through everything that we do Over all the virtues of the Christian life, Colossians 3 says, put on love that binds it all together, that gives it all its shape and flow. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. When Jesus challenged the people around him to love their neighbour, the The pharisaical question got asked, well then who is my neighbour? Where do I get to draw the boundaries? Where do we get to draw the line to say I get to love this person but not that person? And Jesus told that shocking story of the Samaritan who stopped to help the man he was meant to hate to give to the one who didn't belong to his family or his nation or his friendship group or his social circle, to provide for someone's needs without any expectation of anything in return. Which should challenge us to think about the people that God places in front of us and where we like to draw boundaries the people we like to exclude from the category of neighbour, to let ourselves off the hook to say, I can love this person but not that person. And what is it that this love will look like? Well, let's look at those words from 1 Corinthians 13. What does love look like? It's up on the screen behind me. Jesus-shaped love is patient and it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It doesn't dishonour others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And if God's people in God's world were to reflect a God-shaped kind of love, 
to the, to the world around us, to those that we come in contact with. By this, Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples. And what a refreshing reprieve that would be from the snide cynicism when it comes to thinking about our leaders. What a refreshing reprieve it would be from the entitled self-centeredness that dominates our roads and dominates our credit card statements. What a refreshing reprieve that would be from the short-fused retaliation approach to those who let us down. What a refreshing reprieve that would be from the individualistic what-do-I-get approach to church life. What a refreshing reprieve against the guarded suspicion approach when it comes to caring for people in need. And friends, this isn't something that we can sit on isn't something that we can reflect on and get to later. This is the urgent business of every Christian because the hour has come and the day of salvation is approaching. The return of the Lord Jesus is imminent. So do this, Paul says in verse 11, understanding the present time. Have a look at verse 11 with me. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So each and every day as we wake up and we put on our grey T-shirt and blue jeans, as we clothe ourselves in the Lord Jesus in order to reflect his love to the world, we're to remember that it's another day closer. It's another day closer. It's another day closer to Jesus' return and him bringing in the fullness of his eternal kingdom. And so wake up. Wake up to live in light of that reality, to be clothed in his love to be trusting in his grace, to be running from the things, the the, the sin that so easily entangles and stops you from following the Lord Jesus. Sleepiness in the Bible is synonymous with God-forgetfulness. For those who are sleeping or sleepy, they are the ones who forget who God is and what God has done. And who we are meant to be in light of his character and his action on our behalf. And so the urgent task for every Christian is to be living for him each day, being reminded that God has set a day in his calendar that is a day of judgment and salvation. And so loving our neighbours and living for Jesus is the urgent business of every Christian. 
loving our neighbours in order that we might shine like stars in the universe. Walking in the light in the midst of a dark and depraved generation so that people might see the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of God's way. Demonstrating Jesus' love, showing Jesus' way of life. Here's the thing, as a church we can run all the evangelistic courses that we like, we can have really good programs and attractive signage and whatever. But God's biggest evangelistic strategy to reach the lost in his world is the holiness of his people. As they shine like stars in the midst of the darkness... living transformed lives that aren't squeezed into the dark ways of the world but are transformed and renewed into the likeness of Jesus to shine with his beauty and his glory to those that we come across. By this, Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Darkness is the habitat the natural habitat of evil. Darkness is the place where uh, the world is is seen to be living in rejection of God, in in disobedience towards him. And we understand that, don't we? Because we know that most um, bad things in this world happen under the cover of darkness. Uh, Even if, if you think about our church property, when bad things happen on our church property, it's under the cover of darkness, whether it's the graffiti, uh, whether it's uh, needles that get left here, whether it's attempted break-ins, whether it's random bikes that appear padlocked to the small saint's fence, as you'll see when you go out there today. They all appear under the cover of darkness, right? And that is not the place where holiness lives hidden away in rejection of God and his ways. No, for the Christian, you are not to be out there in the midst of the deeds of darkness with sleepiness, but awake with the armour of light, the armour of light that is Jesus and his love, clothed in him, enabled by him, trusting in his spirit and his presence within you and the strength of his word that is the sword of the spirit in order to live for him and to bring glory to his name, battling each day. It doesn't sound easy, does it? There's a fight involved because the world that we live in is running headlong in the opposite direction to the holiness that Jesus demands of his people. And so wake up. Clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the armour of light in order that you might reflect his love to a watching world with the same kind of self-sacrifice and generosity and holiness that Jesus showed in his life and his death and his resurrection. Why don't I pray that we might be able to do that with the strength that he provides. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that by your word and spirit, we might be the kind of people who are so transformed by the renewing of our minds that as we clothe ourselves in the Lord Jesus, that we might reflect his love to our neighbours in the same kind of self-sacrificial, concrete, active love that Jesus showed to us in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. May you give us the strength that we need to put on the armour of light and to keep growing in godliness and Christ-likeness each and every day while we wait for him to return. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.